This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It is really nice to see such an interest in this subject. How many of you know someone who is gay? All right. So can we talk? <laughs> you know, I, um, growing up, I thought I was the only person in the world that even had such thoughts and confusion and dilemma in my mind. Um, I had no idea where to go, who to talk to, how to deal with the issues I was struggling with. Um, by the way, we have some resource sheets back here. It's been suggested that someone pass them out as people are coming and going. Uh, because we all have our uh, various websites um, and different resources. But, you know, this text has already been used and is used quite frequently among us in coming out ministries, and it's Revelation 12:11 that we overcome the accuser of the brethren by two things, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I used to wonder, what in the world does that mean? And this is how I kind of figured it out. The blood of the Lamb has to do, of course, with the story of Jesus, his uh, condescension, his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his ministry in the holy place and, and in the most holy place today. And, you know, the whole story of redemption through Jesus Christ. But then I realized, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that uh, many people can tell that story. In fact, Satan transforms himself into an angel of light and his ministers into ministers of righteousness. Now, you probably have all seen ministers, popular ministries that fill stadiums telling the story, the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus. And they, uh, they give an altar call at the end and, and people just flood to the front, weeping, giving their hearts to Jesus. And then someone asks the question, well, what about... The Ten Commandments. Oh, well, don't worry about the law that was nailed to the cross. You're saved by grace, whoever she is, you know. They, they don't, they, they dismiss the power of God. What is the word of their testimony? You know, and I think Satan himself could tell the story of Jesus better than I can, except he doesn't have a testimony. He cannot tell what Jesus has done for him. So this is why the testimony that we all have is so very important. You know, I believe that if you are willing and if you will offer yourself, the Lord will bring someone across your path that needs exactly what you have to share. We all can minister for him in that way. Um, I never wanted this testimony. <laughs> It's not something, in fact, when I became a Christian 22 years ago, I never even talked about my past. Um, people would ask and I'd say, well, I come from a life of degradation, self-destruction and degradation. Well, what in the world is that, you know? And I would give my testimony and I would always talk about my self-destructive past and, and degradation. Someone thought that I was addicted to drugs or something and, and then I was counseled by a friend of mine, Christian Berdahl, whom some of you know, he said, Ron, they need to know what it was because people are struggling with this. Get up there and say it. You know, even today, it is very difficult for me to use the word gay or homosexual in relation to myself. 
I just hate it. I never wanted it attached to me and I never wanted to talk about it. But I gave my heart to the Lord and I told him I would go wherever I'm invited to go to speak for him. And now more and more, I'm talking about this issue. Now, I never wanted to be peg-holed into a one-issue ministry. So I am a pastor. I, I pastor two churches in Arkansas. But I really appreciate the opportunities now the Lord gives to talk about this issue. Because, you know, uh, friends, this is a global issue. In Luke chapter 17, we read, as it was in the days of Lot, then what? The coming of Jesus. This is a global issue, um, and to me, it is a sign that the global society is in demise. It's time for Jesus to come. Um, my story uh, is that I was born into a Seventh-day Adventist Christian home. And by the way, I'm not, using, I'm not using PowerPoint. Somebody is. But... I'm just going to say, I'm not using PowerPoint in this presentation. I will be in my next one, but um, uh, if you need to keep that going to keep the interest, that's great. <laughs> but I was born into a Seventh-day Adventist uh, Christian home, and uh, we lived in the country. Um, my parents had moved to the country because they wanted to provide a safe environment for their children. You know, the devil knows where you are even if you're in the country. <laughs> And we read about God. He says, before I formed you in the belly, what? I knew you. Do you know before God formed you in the belly, the devil knew you were coming. And he has a customized plan for your life. And God has a customized plan for your life. And they both, in this great controversy, they both are battling for your soul. And when I was uh, a little child, four years old, in the country, my dad was a dairy man. He ran a dairy farm in Mississippi. I was sexually molested by a farmhand at the tender age of four. Children at that age don't know how to process this. I, I believe children are not sexual unless they're introduced to it. I mean, sexuality comes, my understanding is, with puberty. Uh, but... You know, like was said earlier, when we are little children, the boys think girls have cooties and girls think boys have cooties. And, and you know, you're not sexual unless you're introduced somehow. Uh, but today, the introduction is through the media, through music, through, I mean, it's just everywhere. Children are introduced to this very prematurely. But at the age of four, I didn't know how to process what happened to me. Uh, this was so foreign. I just, you know, but I knew it was bad. And I felt dirty, and I felt guilty. And victims feel that way, you know? If you've ever been victimized um, in, in any way, quite often you feel guilty or you are made to feel guilty and responsible. And even at four, I felt that I had done something terribly wrong and I hadn't done anything. But I wouldn't tell on myself. I didn't tattle to mommy and daddy. I internalized. And I, I just can't imagine to this day, why didn't I go to mom and dad? Well, I guess I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't, the communication wasn't, uh, uh, we didn't communicate that well. And so I internalized. But every day of my life, I relived that incident. In other words, I was being victimized every day of my life, growing up into my teen years and into adulthood. 
it was always as fresh in my mind as the day it happened because I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know how to deal with it and get rid of it. Well, when you internalize something like that, other things may happen. I became a bedwetter and uh, all of us, I was one of six children and all of us had been potty trained by the time we were two. And here I am four and all of a sudden I have reverted back or regressed or whatever. My parents didn't know what to think. They thought I was being lazy. And so the abuse started from my parents, primarily my father. He became emotionally and verbally abusive. Uh, he was a child raising children. He didn't know uh, what had happened to me. He thought I was being lazy. So he started shaming me and publicly ridiculing me, mocking me, making fun of me, uh, advertising what I was struggling with. Um, to the point I was so emotionally traumatized I couldn't control myself even in public anymore. And I would wet in school and I would wet publicly and I was just so emotionally stressed over all of this. And of course, I believe there are many, many factors that feed into brokenness and people can be derailed in many different directions. Satan doesn't care, by the way. Um, speaking as a former pilot, if you chart a course, and you are off one degree in your charting, uh, a thousand miles later or 500 miles later, you're gonna miss the runway. <laughs> Satan doesn't care if you're off one degree or 180 degrees, he just wants you off track. And I was derailed very young. Um, I, as I went on through grade school, I was repeatedly victimized in grade school. I didn't know how to resist or say no. Um, I was a victim. and. In spite of all of that, I was a spiritual child. I loved Jesus, I loved the church, I wanted to do what was right. Uh, I was labeled a goody-goody, well that's not good. <laughs> I, was, um, I started playing the piano at the age of five um, uh, and was very musical and so in my family where the boys were into shotguns and firecrackers and, and um, loud mufflers and everything that made noise. Here I was, I didn't like noise, I liked music. And I'd be in playing the piano and they're out wanting to play football or something and so I was a sissy because I was not into those contact sports. Um, so I was kind of estranged from the men in my life, the boys, my brothers, uh, my peers, and my father. And you know, when you're estranged from that segment of your life, if you think about it, that becomes the opposite sex, right? It's the one you're not identifying with. I mean, you're not included in it. So it becomes, as spoken earlier, like the mystery. And so you have longings and questions and curiosity about that side because you're not getting that in your everyday uh, interaction. And so in my mind, I started um, fantasizing and I longed to be accepted by the, the men and the, the boys and the peers and what have you. And I always felt like I was outside of that circle and um, unaccepted, unappreciated, what have you. So in school, I became very um, success oriented. I was an overachiever. I was a straight-A student. My brother, who was a year older than I was, he was a year bigger, a year stronger, a year better looking and all of that. He's still a year older. But anyway, 
he could sit in class all day long and goof off, play around, never crack a book and make straight A's. I couldn't do that, but I would not be outdone by my brother. So I really worked hard to make my straight A's. But we had that sibling rivalry as we were growing up. Uh, so I was an overachiever. I, was, I did it because I wanted to be accepted. I wanted approval. I, you know, trying to make my way through life. No one knew that I had a problem, um, as far as I could tell. I masked my situation very, very carefully. And I was very active in church and school and all of that. Graduated from grade school valedictorian, graduated from high school valedictorian, and went on to college. Didn't know what I wanted to take in college. I took a lot of music and general ed requirements. And I had to drop out of college because of finances. And... Um, ended up being drafted. It was during the Vietnam era, and I was drafted into the military. Um, and when I finished my training in the military as a surgical technician, I was shipped off to Korea. I didn't even know we were still in Korea, but that's where they sent me. But the Lord was leading. You know, in college, uh, and I'm sure God has a plan A for our lives. I don't know how many of you are still on plan A. I'm no, I know I'm not. Uh, when I dropped out of college, I think that was plan A that was discarded. I went into the military, but God was still leading because while I was in uh, Korea, I became acquainted with the student missionary program over there and got very actively involved on the weekends, you know, playing the piano for the song services for their church and Sabbath school and, and uh, really enjoyed working with the student missionaries so that when I uh, was ready to be discharged from the military, I was discharged in Korea and stayed on as a student missionary. Now, all of those student missionaries were from Southern California and they talked funny. Um, I was from Mississippi and I was the only one from the South. And they're trying to teach English and I'm thinking they need some help. So anyway, <laughs> when I started teaching English over there, I had a lot of fun, really enjoyed doing that. And I, but then after a while, I got a little bored. You know, everything gets tedious after a while, no matter how much you enjoy it. And so we're in Korea, and I'm teaching English, and I decided to teach my students good old Southern English. And, uh, you know, just for fun. And then one day I heard some of them going down the hall. It was just hilarious. Hi, y'all. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Y'all come back now, you hear? And these were Koreans. I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> right after that, I was shipped south, I guess where I belonged. Uh, I don't think there was a correlation, but anyway, I was asked to go to Thailand to um, uh, run a, a fairly new school down there, and several of us went down to do that, and that's where I met the Van Arsdale family. Linda Van Arsdale is here. She was just a little girl when I was over there, and uh, it's so good to see you, Linda. But I worked with her family in Thailand. Um, I was teaching English. Her father was the doctor at the hospital there. And in both countries, I, you know, I immersed myself in the culture. I tried to learn the language so I could get around and everything. But by being in the student mission field for those two years, um, I felt I, I knew what the Lord wanted me to do with my life. And that was to go into medical missionary work. I really, really enjoyed working with, uh, uh, in the foreign countries in the mission field. So I went back to Southern Missionary College to pick up where I left off. And I signed up for theology and pre-med. And a year later, I married one of those um, Southern California girls that didn't talk right, you know, uh, brought her to the South 
And uh, it was my, my desire, my choice to have a Christian home, a Christian wife, Christian babies. We had two Christian babies. Have a Christian education. I made many, many good choices throughout my life. But the whole time, I was still struggling in my mind because I never resolved issues that I, from the time I was four, year old, four years old. And I didn't know that that, that had anything to do with anything. Uh, as I was uh, preparing to graduate, and I graduated with my degree in theology with honors at Southern, but I had one more class to take in pre-med. And so I um, actually, I turned down a call to ministry. I felt, well, first of all, I, I never thought that day would be coming. I didn't think ahead, but I was um, called into ministry and I turned down the call because I had one more class to take and I was off to medical school. But really what I had done, I, I did not even pray about the call. I didn't ask the Lord about it. I made that decision on my own, which I think may have been a mistake. I'm not a doctor today. I have all that pre-med, but I'm a minister. <laughs> I could have done, started that a long time ago. But I turned down that call to ministry, finished my pre-med, and was getting ready to go to medical school when I had my major spiritual collapse. All of this stuff that had been festering in my life all those years just finally erupted like a nasty boil. I broke up my marriage. I had my first um, willing a gay encounter. And when I had that first encounter, I was addicted. And I just want to stress this. Homosexuality is addiction. It is an addiction. And I had one encounter willingly, and I was addicted. And I was traumatized. I couldn't imagine. I was married. I was trained to be a minister. I had children. And now what had I done? And I knew that, that I was hooked and uh, it brought my marriage to an end. I squandered that beautiful gift that God had given me in a, a Christian family. I went headlong into the world. Uh, I did do some counseling. My wife and I did do some counseling, um, primarily for her benefit, because um, you know I thought I at least owed it to her to have some counseling before we totally ended our marriage. And, uh, Surprisingly, when the counselors would be finished with me, they would go to her and say, you know, Mrs. Woolsey, you need to just divorce this man and get on with your life. That kind can never change. And these were Seventh-day Adventist counselors. You know, I went into the world so bitter and so angry because I didn't want to be gay. I just felt helpless. And now I felt hopeless. When ministers say that and you know, Adventist counselors and psychiatrists. So I was very angry with God that he, the plan of redemption was for everybody else, but not for me. My father had a massive heart attack after this all came out in the open. I felt very responsible. Um, he almost died. He was only 55 years old. And in the hospital, they tried to get him to have bypass surgery and and he uh, started asking questions, what's the prognosis? And they said, well, Mr. Woolsey, if, uh, if you will have this bypass surgery, you can probably live another five years. He said, well, what if I don't have the surgery? Now, Mr. Woolsey, if you don't have this surgery, you probably won't live more than five more years. <laughs> you do the math. You're all in school, right? Well, dad checked himself out. 
why go through the surgery and die on the table when he could have five years without it, you know? They went to Uchi Pines. My parents went to Uchi Pines and decided to take our health message seriously and start over and, um, and see if they couldn't reverse this problem with our health message. And that's really another story. But I went into the world with this guilt. Now I had this responsibility for my dad's heart attack. And so I had all this anger, resentment, bitterness, fear, guilt, everything. I mean, Satan was just piling it on so that I felt totally hopeless. And that's how he helped me, held me in his grasp. Now, what do you do for a person like me? You all say you know someone who is gay. What do you do for your friend who is gay? Um, and that's been the dilemma because when I was struggling with this, I had no one to go to, no resources within our church. No one was talking about it. I was struggling with it alone, and I finally just gave up in bitterness and anger and hopelessness. Let me tell you what, what helped with me, and maybe you can jot this down. My parents and some friends, three things. My parents loved me unconditionally. My dad was converted. I mean, he, uh, um, he changed his attitude towards me, and he, he became very, very proud of me as I was going through college and with a degree in theology and all of that. That's one thing that broke his heart, that he was so proud, and then I just devastated him. Um, but they loved me unconditionally. Even though I had grieved them and, and caused so much trauma in their lives, they did not give up on me. And they never had much money. They never could afford to travel. But somehow, I moved out to California, and they found a way to get out to California. It seemed like maybe once every year to spend time with their prodigal son. I have a sister that lives in Newport Beach, beautiful home there on the ocean. They usually stayed with me inland in the smog. They wanted to be with their prodigal son and with my friends. They loved me. They loved my friends. But they did not condone the behavior. And see, that's how Jesus works. They had uh, unconditional love and they, without condemnation. We never felt condemned, but we did not feel condoned. And that, was, uh, that helped break down some barriers. Secondly, I found out later that they prayed for me without ceasing. And this is something that's been mentioned before. They prayed the Lord would do whatever it took. I mean, they never gave up in their intercession for me. You know, the Lord can go where he is invited, but sometimes he cannot go where he's not invited. So your intercessory prayer will give him the invitation and permission to do what he wants to do. And so the Lord started working on me in a very strange way. I think it is a miraculous way. Um, the... Um, the third thing that they did, and I'll tell you about the miraculous way in a moment. The third thing was they became forgetful. If you want to put that in your notes, it worked with me. Uh, every time they went home, they forgot something, left it behind. And um, over the years, I collected that left behind series. <laughs> uh, I usually found it under my pillow in my bed or in the bookcase or on the back of the toilet or something. Some book. And let me tell you what my Left Behind series uh, was made up of. Uh, there was a beautiful Bible. There was a nine-volume set called Testimonies to the Church. 
There was a five-volume set called the Conflict of the Ages series. There was a Steps to Christ. There was a book called The Story of Redemption, and those are just the ones I remember. But, you know, they remembered to put a note in every one of them. <laughs> I treasured that. Now, I wasn't interested in the books, but they were tokens of love, and I couldn't dispose of them. So I just put them in the bookcase. Well, can you see what the Lord was doing over the years? He was building up a resource library for me because I was not about to go to talk to anybody about anything. I wouldn't go to anyone. I wouldn't listen to anything, watch anything, read anything, go anywhere or talk to anyone that had anything to do re with religion. And here it was building up in my house. And then the Lord directly intervened. And I've talked to a number of people that have had this same thing happen, so I know it was the Lord. One night I had this horrible nightmare. In that dream, my life was just going on around me. You know how dreams are. It's kind of like a collage of your activities of the day. Well, my life was passing before me. It was kind of dark and gloomy, but, you know, I was into all kinds of uh, physical activities there in Cal Southern California. Hang gliding was a sport of mine, rollerblading, biking, jogging. All of these things were going on. Dancing, I was a dancer. Um, and all of that. But then suddenly... The, the scene lit up and I looked up and there was Jesus coming in the clouds of glory and I was lost. And I, you know, my words can never express the terror that I felt as a lost person looking into the face of Jesus. Friends, you don't want to experience that. It was horrible. Now I had this 25 pound cat that always slept on top of me and it's like a flour sack. I mean, a big old fat cat. When I jumped up in bed in sheer terror, that cat went flying across the room yowling and just terrified as well. And, uh, but I sat there in that beautiful darkness and I remember saying, thank God, that was just a dream. I thanked God for something, but it was just a dream. In other words, time is not really over for me. I didn't know what to do about it. I was an addict, uh, addicted to the gay lifestyle. Eventually, Freckles came back to bed. We went back to sleep. The next day, got about, went about life, put it all behind us, and uh, forgot all about it. Until sometime later, the same dream came again. This became a recurring experience for that cat and me <laughs> for about three years. Can you imagine? I resisted for about three years. It was three days for Jonah. Well, I think that's kind of biblical, a day for a year, you know. <laughs> it was about three years that this went on, and I finally uh, came to my senses to a point, I remember coming to this realization one day, you know, I can keep on blaming God for everything wrong in my life until Jesus does come in the clouds of glory. I'm still lost. Blaming does not solve the problem. You know, blaming is just justifying self. And God cannot justify you, friends, if you're busy justifying yourself. He says, only acknowledge thine iniquity, your iniquity, and I will heal your backsliding. Stop blaming them and acknowledging theirs. I'm dealing with them on the other hand. You talk, about, talk to me about your problem and I'll work with you. And as I stopped blaming, my conscience began to kick in. And I started um, wanting answers and decided to research my life. And that's when I went back in my mind and I started rehearsing everything from the time 
almost the time I was born. I remember being an infant in a crib, watching my mother through the slats in the crib. That's how far back I went. And I rehearsed my life and all of the ways that I had been violated and the bad choices I had made. And I began to realize, you know, yes, I was a victim, but I made bad choices. I gave in to all of that. And then I started wanting answers. So you know where I went, right? To my Left Behind series. And I pulled out that Bible and I opened it up and I tried to read in the Bible and I couldn't. I just, I just couldn't concentrate. And I put the Bible down and I went back and I looked for the smallest book, the biggest print, the shortest chapters. You know which book that was? Yes. Steps to Christ. I pulled that out and couldn't read that either. I was a TV addict. Anyone? No, don't raise your hand. Can you relate? I was a TV addict. My mind was just mush from watching TV night and day all those years. So I had to relax. So now I don't recommend this as a Bible study method, but this is my testimony. Okay. I went to the kitchen. I pulled out my blender and I dumped in a bunch of ice and green stuff and yellow stuff and blended it all up. Ringed my goblet with salt poured in my double Midori margarita and I went back to the living room and sat down, lit up a cigarette and opened Steps to Christ. <laughs> Something wrong with that picture, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> but you know, that was where I was and God was willing to meet me where I was. And you know, cigarettes and alcohol cloud the mind. But as I was reading page one, I stopped and I had a little talk with the Lord. And I said, Lord, these are not my issues. I didn't leave you over margaritas. I never drank. I didn't leave you over cigarettes. I've only been doing that the last three years. I'm going to read this book. And if you give me answers to my real issues, then we'll talk margaritas and cigarettes. But that's really not the big issue. And I continued sipping and puffing and reading Steps to Christ until chapter five. You know, there's power in the Word of God. And I got to chapter 5, and I couldn't do that anymore. I mean, that's not when I really quit, but I quit doing it while I was reading the Word of God. <laughs> it was a step, you know, it, the Lord leads you step by step. It's steps to Christ. Chapter 5, telling me that God's plan for my life <clears throat> far exceeds anything I could even imagine for myself. What a fool I was not giving in to his plan. My plan was all about just me, one person working for my self-advancement and self-gratification and, and all of that stuff. God's plan is that all of heaven is interested in my happiness, not just me, not just all of heaven, all of God's people. Don't you want me to be happy? Amen. All right, and I want you to be happy. See, that's the way it is. And so I thought, you know, how foolish that I would trade all of that for just me serving myself. And it made sense. You know, God says, come now, let us reason together. And as I studied his word, it made sense. It was logical. And I started finding myself desiring more and more. I began to crave victory in Jesus. And, you know, as I studied, I, uh, I found all of my answers in the word of God. I did not go to any counseling because I didn't want to hear one more time, that kind can never change. That was um, too discouraging for me. So I didn't go to any counseling. Uh, I went to my knees. I went to the Word of God. 
many times I found that studying on my knees was really quite comfortable. I just kneel down by the bed and I'd read and pray and study that way. And the Holy Spirit was giving me conviction and my life was just being flooded with this beautiful truth. Now I hadn't changed yet, but first there's the desire. You know, Philippians 2.13 says it is God, God works in you to will and to do. Which comes first? Sometimes we Christians try to do first. That's legalism. But what God was creating in me was a desire and a hunger. And so I was getting all the answers that I didn't have with my degree in theology. I had a lot of knowledge with theology, but I didn't have my answers. I was answering the questions for the professors, not for myself, because I wanted to make straight A's. And now I was studying for my very life, for me and my life, whether there was a heaven or, or a hell to shun or a heaven to win, it didn't matter. I was on a path of self-destruction and I needed answers and I was finding them in the Word of God. And I'll just tell you that everything that I needed, I found here and in the spirit of prophecy. Uh, I just want to stress this very strongly. The Seventh-day Adventist message in its purity is the answer to the gay question and to the gay puzzle. I found all of my, and why do I say that? There are many people that are not of, of our faith that are doing wonderful things with this issue. God is blessing them as they're living up to the light that they have. But we're the ones who accept the law of God. We're the ones that can call sin by its right name. We accept his authority in 10 commandments, not just nine. And when we accept his authority in all 10, he can help us better. It is the, the better answer to this issue. And so as I found all of these answers, I studied some amazing things. And, and I'm going to, uh, I have a handout that I want to, uh, to leave with all of you. It's called A Rainbow of Promises. Um, I was traveling with my parents. We were down in Florida. And I was from California. I don't even know why we were down here. But they were, they had heard about some camp meeting down here. They wanted to stop in and attend this camp meeting and I was in the world and I was not interested. And they finally convinced me to stop in for just one meeting. Now I want to tell you how the Lord works. I agreed to go to one meeting. And in that meeting, the pastor was reading what he called a responsive reading. And that was the beginning of what we're handing out to you here. It was one Bible promise that he would read, the congregation would read the next one. All I was hearing was the straight word of God and no commentary. By the time he finished his presentation, I went to my parents and said, we need to stay for another one. And then I talked him into spending the night and going to the next day. I got a copy of his responsive reading. I have added to it and uh, enlarged upon it, and I call it a rainbow of promises. I'll tell you what, those promises, just the pure word of God, touched my heart, broke my spirit, and brought me to my knees. This is the most powerful tool that I have found in working with this issue. I lead people to go to the word of God. That's where the power is. There's power in the word. Well, uh, long story short, as I studied my way uh, 
through the Word of God, I found all of my answers, and I decided that it was time to, to make a decision. Um, I, was with a, I was with my third lifetime relationship, <laughs> if you get that point. Anyway, and we were together only three years at this time, and we were very much in love with each other, but I was learning to love Jesus more, and I realized I was in the valley of decision. I had to make a choice, and I chose Jesus. Amen. And it was very, very traumatic. Um, actually, my parents were visiting in Southern California. They always asked me on Sabbath morning to take them to church, and I took them to a church an hour and a half away, a church I have found that was really um, standing for what I was reading in, in the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy, and they were confirming me in my newfound faith. And at the end of that sermon, the pastor gave a call. We were on the second row, uh, row, and at the end of that sermon, he gave a call, and my parents were there and watched me stand up and go forward. This was 16 years after my dad's heart attack, and he was supposed to be dead after five. Isn't God good? That was a first step. It took me several steps. But finally, it was a number of months later that I finally was able to make the break. And it was so traumatic uh, to end that relationship because we were in, I was ending that relationship not, I mean, uh, we loved each other. I mean, it's hard to end a relationship with someone that you love. And we were in it for life. And it was extremely traumatic for him. But you know, the devil came in. Mike was talking about how there's, demon, uh, uh, there's demonic influence in all of this. Boy, the devil came in and took control of that young man, and it was like seven demons, and attacked me, and I was almost killed in the process. I, I could not imagine this young man. I had never seen a violent streak in his being anywhere, and it took me by surprise. Uh, by the time I got through that situation, I looked like I'd been in a car accident. My face was so terribly beaten. Uh, the back of my head, he had hit me over the back of the head with a lead crystal ashtray, which in itself could have killed me. The Lord spared my life, but he did not spare the trauma, spare me from the trauma. And I think I know why. I saw Satan for who he is and what he will do to keep people in his grasp. He was losing one of his own. He could no longer deceive me. I was on to him. He could not lure me. I was on to him. He could not um, keep me in his grasp, and so he turned to violence. And I think Satan's plan was to kill me before I could be baptized, before I could really take a full stand and keep me in his grasp. And so the Lord allowed me to see Satan for who he is. You know what that did? It seared me against that life. I walked away from that life and never turned back. Now, that doesn't mean without temptation. It means equipped. And that's what I want you to understand. God, I have not found anywhere in the Bible that God takes temptation away. Have you? You know, I, I, I wish I could find it. If you found it, please share it with me because I've not found it. What I have found is that he gives us the tools to deal with it. Greater is he that is, us, that is in us than he that is in the world. And my grace is sufficient for you. Grace, by the way, in the Greek dictionary is divine influence, working upon the heart, reflecting in the life. 
Grace is not some simple little thing, carpet you sweep everything under. Grace is divine, omnipotent, transforming power. And he says, my grace is sufficient. So, you know, I look at it this way, and I'm kind of going now into uh, not just testimony, but the theology, because I'm supposed to do both here. In our humanity, we're on a, a plane that is a little while lower than the angels, correct? Then there's the plane of the angels, and they are supernatural. Uh, Satan is on that plane. He's a fallen angel, but he is supernatural. Friends, we are no match for him in our humanity, but we can reach around him. We're told if we grasp the hand of divinity, when the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it, the will of man, becomes omnipotent. Isn't that beautiful? So we become omnipotent against Satan if we will grasp the hand of divinity. And so we have all of these wonderful tools that God has given us to overcome these things. And um, one, uh, just to share with you about Jesus himself, what, where this gave me so much hope. I read in Hebrews chapter 4 that Jesus was tempted in all points like is me. You know, you have to put yourself in these texts. Jesus was tempted in all points like as me, yet without sin. I shared that with a theology professor at some seminary some years ago. And he heard my story and he looked at me and he said, you don't mean to suggest that Jesus was tempted like that, do you? And I was taken aback. And I looked at him and I said, how do you think he was tempted? Like you? That's not fair. I mean, <laughs> if Jesus can be tempted like you, the text says he was tempted like me. I'm not going to try to go into all the details of what that means. I'm just accepting it. Please don't take that text away from me. When I realized Jesus was tempted like me, yet without sin, it helped me understand that temptation does not define who I am. Otherwise, what would we call Jesus? He's tempted in all points. I haven't been tempted in all points like you. I find those temptations disgusting. <laughs> you get the point. Jesus was tempted in all points. What would you call him by the nature of his temptations? So... Please don't try to define me by the nature of my past or the nature of my temptations. Define me by the nature I have chosen for myself, that God will give me the strength to go. I read in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus suffered being tempted. He struggled. How many of you ever struggle with temptation? Do you ever struggle? You're in good company. Jesus did too, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter 12, he resisted unto blood striving against him, uh, sin. He chose to die rather than to sin. When I read these types of passages about Jesus, I realized I could relate to this man, this God-man. He understands me. He cares for me. He is my example. He has shown me that if he can do it, I can do it by his strength, which he promises is mine. And these types of things really help me to, to make a stand for him. Uh, and so after I had taken that stand and uh, 
in California. I left California and moved into Arkansas where my parents had just retired. And I decided I'll just do my next 40 years in the wilderness. I read somewhere that that's okay. I think Moses did that. Um, and while I was there, I mean, I now had no job, I had no money. Uh, I was starting all over, but you know, when you're born again, it's like being born. You come into the world naked, you know? If you're born again, sometimes you start from scratch. And so here I was, 42 years old, and living with my parents. Oh, how humiliating. But you know, I needed to be humbled. And my parents were so excited that I was coming back to the Lord. And um, they, they were so supportive. Well, immediately I felt a call to ministry. I mean, I had a degree in theology that I'd never used. And I felt this call to ministry. And I didn't know how to do that, I mean, to comply with that. I mean, if I went to the conference office and applied for a job as a minister, the first thing they're going to ask for is my resume. Can you imagine my resume? Uh, so I struggled with that. And I thought, well, I'll just write out my testimony and I'll give it to everybody that I know. And I mailed it out to everyone that I knew. And, um, and maybe that would satisfy that call to ministry. Two weeks later, I got a phone call from a friend of mine from high school, my best friend. We had left the church at the same time. Went totally degraded into the world. He said, Ron, I'm reading your testimony. And he said, I'm really touched and, and I want to come back too. And we've maintained a friendship. He's been a minister now here in Florida for a number of years. He too is in ministry. I realized that my testimony could help. I gave my parents a copy of the testimony to read. It was like three or four pages. Well, now it's a book. But I heard my dad laughing while he was reading my testimony, and I couldn't figure out why he's chuckling and reading my testimony. This is serious stuff. So I peeked around the corner and looked in there, and yeah, he was, he was chuckling all right. And I... The curiosity got the best of me. I said, Dad, I interrupted him. Dad, why are you laughing while you're reading that? And uh, I said, there's nothing funny in that. This is serious. Why are you laughing? He said, well, right here, Ronnie. He always called me Ronnie. You wrote, the Lord gave me no rest, day nor night. I said, so what's so funny about that? He said, your mama and I prayed for 16 years. The Lord would give you no rest, day nor night. <laughs> And there it is, black and white, our prayer in your testimony answered. He was laughing for joy. Isn't that neat? He was thrilled. I mean, this was the father that was thrilled with his prodigal son returning. My parents were just so overjoyed. Um, I still wrestled with this call to ministry, and I didn't know how to deal with it, so I started dialoguing with the Lord about it. If you want me to be in ministry, you make it happen. I don't know how to do that. Uh, I, I feel so unworthy and everything else. So... Um, then I started adding to the list. If you want me to be in ministry, could you give me a double portion of your Holy Spirit so I could redeem the time that I wasted all those years? And then I started thinking, well, while we're talking about all of that, I asked, would you ever trust me again with family? I squandered that beautiful gift that you gave me of a wife and children, a Christian home, and by, I have to tell you, I was not inclined. I was not interested. I mean, I, I didn't have any inclination in that direction. I'd just come out of the gay life. But I talked to the Lord about it. Would you ever trust me with that again? And then one more thing. 
What about music? I had squandered all of the gift of music. I just, all I did in the world was dance. I was a dance instructor and a dancer and, and because I'd been trained in church music and I couldn't use that in the world. So I added that to the list. Would you, would you um, restore the gift of music? Very quickly how this was answered. The night I was baptized, I was asked to preach the next Sabbath. Amen. That was 22 years ago and I've been in a pulpit ever since. The very night I was baptized, I was launched into ministry. I thought that was unheard of. Uh, a year later, we were doing a camp meeting uh, there in North Arkansas where I was pastoring. And um, we had a, someone came up to me and he said, Pastor Ron, man, if God can save you, he can save anybody. I thought that was pretty neat, don't you? Uh, an extreme conversion. It shows the extreme power of God. At the end of the, uh, the camp meeting, he wanted to be baptized. I baptized about 12 people there. As we were getting out of, turning to get out of the tank, I heard this splashing in the water behind me. I turned around. There was my father stepping down into that tank, fully dressed, in his suit. And he said, baptize me too. I started to you know, question. He said, baptize me too. Don't argue with your daddy in a baptismal tank. I got it. He wanted to be, uh, to rededicate his life. I baptized my own father. It was wonderful. There wasn't a dry eye at the camp meeting when that happened. And as we were walking away, uh, he, he's all teared up. And I said, Dad, what was that all about? He said, Ronnie, I want what you have. What is that? Well, I was now in ministry. Evidently, he was seeing the Holy Spirit working through me in a way that he wanted so that was confirming the Lord is answering that prayer about maybe the double portion of the Holy Spirit. It made my dad want to rededicate his life. He wants more. There was a young lady at that camp meeting that I had known since childhood. By the end of the camp meeting, she had agreed to go with me on a date. I surprised myself. I, you know, I didn't have the camp meeting with that in mind. But we went back to Little Creek Academy where we had both graduated from high school. My sister went as a chaperone. I've never been... Able, she's never allowed, my wife has never allowed me to forget that. And I took my sister on our date. But the camp meeting was October 22. The homecoming was the first week of November. And while we were there, we were having a great time. And my sister and Claudia were laughing and carrying on like high school girls in a dormitory in the room next to me. The next morning, I was asking my sister what that was all about. And during the conversation said, by the way, Claudia said last night, I don't know what your brother is up to, but I wish he'd hurry up. I thought, what? Hurry up? I mean, so I thought that was a green light. And, <laughs> right? So I invited her back to our place for Thanksgiving, which was two weeks later. And she came and her son, they came and I took her for a long walk out into the woods and uh, uh, beautiful setting and I proceeded to propose to her and she turned and started laughing and I tell you what that kind of puts water on the fire but then she said Ronnie I always knew you were slow but I never thought it would take you 30 years she said I've been in love with you since the eighth grade and so we were married New Year's Eve all of that happened from October 20 to New Year's Eve Hey, we were old. Why wait? <laughs> and we'd known each other for 30 years. And now we've been married for 21. We had an 
Isaac Rebecca theme wedding, but later the joke became it should have been Abraham and Sarah <laughs> because we had a midwife visiting and, um, and then they wanted to know if there are twins on my side of the family. That alarmed Claudia and our mothers came in saying, naming all the twins on both sides of the family. Claudia looked at me and said, Ronnie, it's time for you to stop praying for second chances and double portions. <laughs> a few months later, Zachary was born. He's here, by the way. Well, he stepped out, but he's now 19. Uh, he was born, he was not a twin. And 19 months later, Natalie was born. And, um, and then 19 months later, we were expecting another one. But uh, Claudia got very ill during that pregnancy and we lost that one, the midwife came to us later and said there were three. She was carrying triplets. And um, we have buried them under the dogwood tree by our driveway. We can do that in Arkansas. And uh, we're looking forward to the resurrection. But, you know, through the word of my testimony and our testimonies, what I want you to see is that our God is mighty to save the whosoever's from whatsoever, even to the uttermost. He delights in second chances and double portions redeeming the lost. Whatever our issue is, he has a solution. Uh, we're going to talk later in the, in the next presentation about uh, some of the gay myths, but the, the one about being born gay, I use that argument all my gay life. Jesus has the answer. If you think you were born gay, then why don't you just be born again? Amen. He has an answer for every argument, every excuse, every justification. He wants us to be with him for all eternity. He's not only our creator, he is our recreator. Let me give you a real quick quiz to close. How old was my father when he had the heart attack? How old was he to be at death? 60, right? Five years. We laid him to rest not too long ago. Guess how old he was? I think I heard it. He was just turning 90. The doctors gave him five years. God gave him 35. And the last 20 years, we lived right next door to each other. I never had a more ardent supporter, a more loving friend uh, than my father. And God is all about reconciliation, uh, restoring what has been stolen. And um, we just want you to know in our seminar, no matter what the issues are, God has the remedy. He's not only creator, he's recreator. And he um, can give any one of us newness of life. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.